This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين Brothers and sisters in Islam السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Welcome to this gathering in which I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to reward us and to forgive our sins and to bless our gathering. We are now up to the end of the life of our Prophet Adam السلام, in our lessons from the lives of the Prophets. Adam السلام, lived for approximately 1,000 years. There is a slight variation among the scholars in the exact years that he lived. But the majority of them agree that it is a thousand years or so. In those days, brothers and sisters, people used to live for hundreds of years. Hundreds of years according to many hadiths from the Prophet ﷺ, and according to the Quranic ayat. And you will see today in relation to Nuh ﷺ, how long he lived and the evidence is in the Quran. Adam السلام, had a son named Sheath or Seth. And he received 50 scriptures from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The Prophet sallallahu said, sahifa. 50 scriptures were sent down upon him, upon Sheath. And they had words of wisdom. So the guidance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala remained coming down with words of wisdom, words of advice. From the moment Adam السلام, came onto earth. And we mentioned last week that after the incident between Qabil and Habil, where his brother killed him, Qabil killed Habil. Qabil had a progeny, children afterwards, and they lived in the mountains. And there was a rule that the people of the land are not allowed to mix with the people of the mountains. And it was said that the women of the land were attractive, whereas their men weren't. And the men of the mountains were attractive, whereas their women weren't. And one day, Iblis carved out or made a flute, made out of iron or made out of steel. When he worked with this blacksmith, posing himself as a young man, as an apprentice. And with that flute, it gathered a mixing between the people of the mountain and the people of the land, on, and they called it a day of celebration. And the men and the women began to intermingle, and through the music and the getting together in such a fashion, it resulted in the natural and biological interactions, reactions inside the man and the woman, and the shaitan played his role. And so free mixing began to occur without boundaries. And they said, our scholars say, or the historians of Islam say that this is when zina began. This is when adultery 
and fornication began. Slowly but surely, with the introduction of this first flute and music, which called for a celebration between men and women gathering and dancing, and over time, zina was carried out. So they say that the first sin was al-kibr, proudiness, and that's Iblis, he did that. The second sin was the minor one where Adam salam disobeyed Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he forgot and he ate from the tree. The third sin is when Qabil killed his brother Habil. The fourth sins, now the first sin on a collective level, like lots of people do it, was zina. Zina, adultery and fornication. The other sins were done on an individual level. And look what happened. So imagine now when a sin is done on a collective level. When lots of people do it and becomes in open. For this reason, our sharia, the laws of Islam, are extremely sensitive in the way it punishes and takes evidence when people accuse others of adultery and fornication. Our sharia in an Islamic state, when there is a proper Islamic court and a proper Islamic system which the people are following, only at that time, the full Islamic laws can be applied. Why? Not because only that the Muslims will be in power. No. More because the prerequisites, like the things that need to be put in place for our Islamic laws to work properly, will all be there. You see, our Islamic laws, the Qur'an and the Sunnah, what does it do? It supports one another. You can't just take bits and leave out bits. It doesn't work. Otherwise, the system won't work. Because Allah said to the children of Israel before, who are now the Jews, He said to them, what, you believe in parts of the book and you apply them, but then you leave out and disbelieve in other parts of the book? Don't do that. Because this is how an imbalance occurs. So in an Islamic state, a proper, well-governed one with Islamic courts and proper judges and proper knowledge, when all things in place, there is a system for protecting and guarding people from indecent acts of fornication and adultery. How? In the Quran it says, for example, there has to be four witnesses who have seen with their eyes the actual act of intercourse happening. Not that they saw a male and a female entering a house together that are not lawful for one another. Or that they saw them hugging or sitting together or kissing. No, no. It has to be the actual act. And these four people have to be known to the community. People who are known for their religion and not known for lying or corruption before. You see? If the four are not met, or there is doubt in one, then they all get whipped 80 lashes. For example, if two came, and they really saw with their eye the act of intercourse, even if it's true, they still need two witnesses. Even if they're known for their trustworthiness. They should have known that you need to have four witnesses, otherwise don't come forward. And then it will be an accusation, a bad accusation against a member of this community. So they get whipped 80 lashes and not allowed to repeat that accusation against, taken as an accusation. 
in order to protect the privacy of people and not to expose the acts of adultery and fornication before people. They can go and repent and ask God to forgive them sincerely, Allah may forgive them. But to expose something in open, it is worse than for a person to do their sin in secret. It's bad enough that you've wronged yourself, but you are harming one person, rather than harming a community in corruption. So this was the first among the sins that were done collectively, zina, was, the, was established. Keep in mind, people did not commit shirk as yet. You know what shirk is, right? For those who don't, shirk is when people do certain acts, that certain acts of worship, making partners to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in those different acts of worship. Whether it's in dua or in prayer or in offerings, you know, uh, sacrificial offerings or donations or charity or hajj, anything at all is shirk. If it's, not, if, if, if it's meant to be for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but the person directs it to other than Allah or along with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Shirk at this time had not been done. However, little sins were poking up and these sins, obviously they're big sins, but first individually and then zina. But bit by bit, bit by bit, the shaitan, the iblis, was taking the human beings to the second level to the third level, to the fourth level, bit by bit. And for this reason, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an, لَا تَتَّبِعُوا خُطُوَاتِ الشَّيْطَانِ Do not follow the footsteps of the shaytan. The footsteps of the shaytan. You see, there's a great wisdom in that. That the shaytan is very smart. He understands the human mind. He knows that for example, for a good Muslim who prays their prayer, fasts their month, tries their best to stay away from sin, he knows that he cannot make you go and drink alcohol, for example. He won't come up to you and say, go and drink alcohol, whispers into that. Because he knows you won't listen. You're not going to go and drink alcohol or go and commit zina. He's not going to go and commit zina. A Muslim doesn't straight away go and do that, who fears Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But what he does is, he looks for the most subtle, tiniest sin that he can work with for the time being, and that will lead him to the next, make the next sin easier to influence that person, the third sin easier. So what's the first thing he does, for example? He does to that believer, he would say to him, hey, you, must, you should go to the masjid. You should go and pray in the masjid with the jama'ah. Because otherwise, as people are going to notice you and say, why didn't this person come? They'll think that you're not pious. Huh? Like that. So he makes you what? He tells you to do good things, yeah? But what's he doing here? Subtly making your heart corrupt. Making you do something that's meant to be directed to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You're doing it to please the people. And that's very subtle. So he starts there. And when your actions become for the people, you no longer take your actions seriously. So in secret, you begin to sin. That's how it begins. And then the next steps come. So Iblis thought, I can't do shirk at the moment. It's too early. It's too... They're, they're too fresh at the moment. They know my tricks. So I'm going to bring about to them things that would move them. So he brought the music and he brought the zina afterwards. Plays with the soul. Plays with the desires. The nafs. And as we said last time, Allah warns us from the nafs. Whoever obeys the nafs has surely degraded themselves. And whoever climbs over above their nafs and purifies it from all evil and sin, 
then they can become higher than even the ranks of the angels in piety and love by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because the angels, they do not have a nafs like the human being has. And they're not inclined to do sin and evil. They don't have these desires that we have. They are programmed and created to worship Allah and not disobey Him in any way. So therefore, if a Muslim is able to climb above this test which Allah has created in us, which didn't put in the angels, then you are deserving to be praised even above the angels. But if you obey it and degrade yourself, then a person can become lower even wallahi than the animal. Allah says about some of these people who do that, أُولَٰئِكَ كَالْأَنْعَامِ بَلْ هُمْ These people are like animals, like livestock, and even worse than animals, some of them. We see actions of these things among the human beings, yeah? This person said to me, people who do very indecent acts are like animals. They do it in open. I said to him, even worse today in this day and age, there is men who sleep with men, women who sleep with women, and babies. And animals don't even do that. The swine, the pig doesn't even do that. So some people can degrade themselves from the honor which Allah had given them. And some people can lift themselves way beyond the horizon until they become even more than the angels. Iblis took them to that step. At this point, Sheath was commanding and prohibiting, advising, and Adam alayhi salam his time had come. And when his time came at the age of about a thousand years, Adam alayhi salam, his soul was taken by the angel of death. And Ibn Abbas who was asked, how long did Adam alayhi salam live? And he, and he said, that the Prophet ﷺ said that his age was written in the preserved tablet, Allah al-Mahfuz, as 1,000 years. He welcomed the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Adam salam did not commit another sin after that time. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions him in the Quran about that sin. He said, وَعَصَى آدَمُ Adam salam truly disobeyed his Lord. He did. And in another verse Allah says, فَلَمْ نَجِدْ لَهُ عَزْمًا We did not find in Adam alayhi salam this great struggle against, yani this great struggle that is found in other prophets and messengers. He did struggle. But not that great struggle compared to other messengers we're about to talk about insha'Allah. Prophets that um, struggled more. And we have five among them who are called Ulul Azm. Those endured with Utmost patience and perseverance. We'll hear about them insha'Allah. So we as Muslims, as believers, are called to wrestle against our desires. This life is about a wrestle against your desires. That's the whole purpose of it. Who will climb above it? Who will earn it? A wrestle, constant wrestle, night and day. And what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to do out of all of that is istiqama, straight Straightedness in our life. Oh Allah, guide us to the path which is consistent. The whole idea, if you want to beat the shaitan, the main key is, number one, sincerity, and secondly, consistency. Because Allah says in the Quran, الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا ثُمَّ اسْتَقَامُوا 
تتنزل عليهم الملائكة ألا تخافوا ولا تحزنوا وأبشروا بالجنة التي كنتم توعدون Those who believe, so now you've got the sincerity. Thumma means and after a while. So time has passed. Everyone can be sincerely and believe. But a year or two years down the track, what becomes of them? Huh? You believe, you repent to Allah. A few months down the track, what happens to you? Or is it only at times of calamities? Or is it only at times when someone dies in the family? So you always, this person's always waiting for something dramatic to happen before they remember Allah until finally his, his death comes and then what does he or she do? So Allah says, Amanu, thumma, this is the key. And then after a while, they continue. Istaqamu, they continue. And this istiqama, this continuance, happens after you've established your prayers and your zakat and your sadaqah and your repentance and it becomes your livelihood. It becomes like the food you eat, like the water that you drink. Becomes a habit of repentance, a habit of praying, a habit, of, and you feel an, a consciousness which you didn't have before. Once this is established, it becomes very hard for the shaitan to lead you astray. What happens to them? The angels descend upon them, night and day, and in the, and in the hereafter, in, in the tafsir. Be not afraid, and don't be saddened, and be glad. With paradise that has been promised for those who are pious. This actually happens in calmness in this world. You feel it in your heart in this world. This calmness, this uh, happiness, this satisfaction. A Muslim, a believer feels it when they reach that stage. Doesn't matter if you're poor or sick or not. You feel this calmness, this satisfaction that no one else feels. It. A calmness and security. A believer feels that all the time. And... On the day of judgment, these angels will say to them, when fire is brought, don't be afraid. Don't be saddened and, be, and have glad news that you will enter paradise which you have been promised. Don't worry. This day is not against you. This day is for you. Just be patient. Allahumma ja'alna minhum. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us one of them. After Adam alayhi salam, Sheath lived on for a few more decades. And some of the uh, narrations and scholars agree that Sheith alayhi salam gave birth and from his progeny, from his children came most of the prophets. Most of the prophets ended up with him. And some say all of the prophets ended up in his lineage. No one came for after that from Qabil. No prophets, no messengers. But from Sheith, who was from the son of Adam alayhi salam and Hawa. Next, after Sheath, he was entrusted in charge and then at his deathbed after him, he entrusted it to his most noble son. Sheath entrusted it to his most noble son of many children. His name was Enos. And this name comes in the history books, such as Bidaw and Nihaya, but also comes in the books of the children of, the children of Israel, Biblical and Torah. As in relation to believing in words from the Torah, from the Torah and the Bible, the Injil, we, uh, Injil and Torah are both Bibles, they're holy books uh, originally, not the ones that are corrupted today. If information comes to us from the versions today that does not exist in our religion, in our Quran or Sunnah, and it does not contradict the teachings of our religion, then we do not 
believe them, nor do we deny them. We leave them as they are. We can use them to talk about them, but we make that point. They are not there that are, they're not completely correct. Uh, or we don't say that they are definitely authentic, nor do we say that they are unauthentic. Could be right, could be wrong. So this son, Allahu Alam, his name was Inos, but he did give it to a son of his. His name was Inos, who carried out his mission after him. Then after him, his son, Kenan, and then his son, Muhallalal, took the charge of the mission. Muhallalal is the one whom Persians, they claim to be the king of the seven regions. And this is another biblical notion. It says that he was the first to cut trees, build cities and big castles. It says that he built the city of Babylon in Iraq today, Babylonia, and the farthest city of, of Sus or Sas. He defeated Iblis, they say, and his army and then scattered them into mountains and valleys and killed a huge number of them as though there was a war between him and the jinns. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best about this. And they say he had a splendid crown and his rule lasted for about 40 years after his last father. Now this is something true. After him came a son named, as uh, biblical terms also quote him, as Jared. Jared. Who took charge of his mission. And here the Quran, the next man or the son that came after him, the Quran mentions him. His name is Idris alayhi salam. In biblical terms, ancient names, he was called Enoch. And his name in the Quran came as Idris. Both are correct. Enoch translated in the Quran as Idris in Arabic. Idris alayhi salam. Idris alayhi salam was a prophet. He was a prophet of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And some of our scholars consider him to be the second prophet after Adam salam. Some consider him the third after Sheath. And some of our other scholars consider him the first prophet. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. But it seems that our scholars lean towards, it seems that the evidence says that Idris salam was actually the first prophet. And the hadith that said Adam salam was a prophet are actually weak. Believe it or not. But we leave it as that inshallah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best about this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Qur'an, وَاذْكُرْ فِي الْكِتَابِ إِدْرِيسَ إِنَّهُ كَانَ صِدِّيقًا نَبِيًّا وَرَفَعْنَاهُ مَكَانًا عَلِيًّا Allah says, and mention in the book, in the Qur'an, Idris. He was a truthful prophet. And we raised him high in the heaven. We raised him high in the heaven. I'd like to make a note. In the Qur'an, you will find that there are sometimes English terms used as heaven and sometimes paradise. Jannah is really paradise. And heaven is used for sky or high place. So heaven is actually not Jannah, but rather it is paradise. Like the word used as Firdaus. Paradise, that's where the word came from. As for heaven, it is actually the skies, as samawat. And in this ayah, it doesn't mention sama, but Allah says, We lifted him in a high place. We read in the tafsir, which is 
most likely the correct interpretation by Ibn Abbas and other companions. Allah praised Idris السلام, in that he was tr a truthful prophet. And Ibn Ishaq, one of the past predecessors, he says, he was the first man to write with a pen. And he was born while Adam السلام, was actually still living. Living, and he lived the last 380 years of his life. But he wasn't a prophet until after the death of Adam السلام. But he lived actually the last 300 and something years of Adam السلام's life. So we learned. He learned from Adam السلام. He learned from, from Sheath But he came as a prophet afterwards. He came as a prophet not to stop people from shirk or to call them to the correct information, but rather to help stop and call people away from acts of corruption which they knew were corruption, away from their desires, as we know, such as zina, and the act of killing, the act of murder, the act of proudiness, the act of corruption, to call them away from that. And it is said also in our history books that Idris السلام, was the first to take up arms against another army, to carry out jihad, to fight against injustice. The meaning of jihad really is a fight against injustice or a fight for justice, to protect the innocent and to protect the weak and to bring about justice for all, Muslim or non-Muslim. Muslim or non-Muslim. And the enemy would be the one who is fighting against justice. So jihad is in order to establish justice on, in the earth not to force people into something they don't want, but to establish justice and fairness for all. And those who stand in the way of justice and fairness for all, jihad is a noble thing to do if the conditions are met as in our sunnah. But we haven't got time to talk about that today, maybe inshallah tonight, maybe another time. However, it is said that Idris السلام, was the first to take up arms and establish battle against injustice. So these people had established injustice of killing and murder and pillage and corruption. And we raised him in a high heaven. In Al-Bukhari and Muslim, in the hadith related about the night journey of our Prophet Muhammad sallallahu it is mentioned that the Prophet sallallahu passed by him, by Idris sallallahu in the fourth heaven. And Ibn Jarir narrates saying that Ibn Abbas asked Ka'b while I was present there, he said, what, it, what is meant when Allah subhanahu wa says, and we raised him high in the heavens. And Ka'ab replied to Ibn Abbas, Allah revealed to Idris, I would raise for you every day the same amount of the deeds as all of Adam's children. Perhaps meaning the children that lived in his time. And Idris was so devout to Allah that when he did an action, a good action, Allah rewarded him equal to all the children of Adam that lived in that time. And this can happen. Where some, you be a Muslim, right? And another Muslim is praying next to you. That Muslim who is praying, Allah is rewarding him. And that Muslim is praying next to him, Allah is rewarding him or her as well. But the reward may be for the person who is standing here more than the reward of the person who is standing here. And they're doing the same thing. It can happen. It all depends on the iman within your heart, the intention within your heart, the reason why you're doing it, and so on. We hear this about Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. Rasul sallallahu says about him, مَا فَاقَكُمْ أَبَا بَكْرٍ بِكَثِرٍ بِكَثْرَةٍ مِنْ صَلَاةٍ 
Abu Bakr did not exceed you, did not exceed you in piety and rewards because he prayed more than you or he fasted more than you or he did qiyam more than you? No. But he said, But because of something that existed inside his heart that other of you don't have, equal to him. And his actions proved what's in his heart. So sometimes a person's reward, depending on their devoteness to Allah when they're doing that action, can be rewarded more than others. So Idris Allah, when he did a good deed, Allah said to him, you deserve the reward of all the children of Adam. So what did Idris do? He said, I wanted to live longer. Idris wanted to live longer so they can earn more rewards, since that's the case. And it's the only time really, yani, a mu'min, it's haram for a mu'min, for any Muslim to desire death, like quickly, to say, like to kill themselves, to say, oh Allah, I want to die, or to commit suicide because they hate life, or because they're poor, or because things are not going their way. Rasulullah said, لا Don't wish for death. Like then say, I wish I died because of hardship. But what can a mu'min say? Rasulullah taught us a dua. He said, Oh Allah, say, Oh Allah, if death for me early is better for me in my deen and my hereafter, then bring it to me early. And if li- prolonging my life is better for me in my deen and my hereafter, then prolong it for me. Whichever one is better, bring it to me. You're allowed to ask Allah in that way. But to say, Oh Allah, oh, oh I wish I died because of hardship? No. And don't use Maryam as an example. She said, I wish that I had died before this. This is because. She was saying it out of the being a role model of iman and piety. Because what had happened to her was something that could be misunderstood. So she wasn't saying I wanted to die because of hardship. But rather it was something that was connected to her faith. So Idris said, I want to live longer. So he said to one of his friends, an angel, he said, can you take me above to request? He said to him, Allah has revealed to me such and such. So could you please speak to the angel of death so I could increase my deeds? And ask Allah. The angel carried him on his wings and went up into the heaven, the skies. When it was the fourth heaven, they met the angel of death, who was descending down to the earth. And the angel spoke to him, who was descending down to the earth. And the angel spoke to him about what Idris had spoken to him before. And the angel of death said, But where is Idris? He replied, he is upon my back. The angel of death said, how astonishing. I was sent and told to cease his soul in the fourth heaven. I kept thinking how I could cease it in the fourth heaven when he was on earth. Then he took his soul there out of his body. And that is what is meant in this verse. And we raised him high in the heaven. This hadith came in Bukhari and Muslim. But not necessarily in the Sahih Bukhari and Sahih Muslims, but different ones. Sahih Muslim and Sahih Bukhari is guaranteed by Man Bukhari and Muslim to be authentic. But it's narrated in Bukhari and Muslim, and most likely this is the authentic way. And this is the narration of Ibn Abbas anhu and Ka'ab in the interpretation of this verse. Idris alayhi salam is a prophet of God and this is as much as it came to us in the Quran but there are narrations about his character they say that Idris alayhi salam was tall in stature 
60 cubits tall. And when he walked, his footsteps were long. They were big footsteps. They were similar to the footsteps of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he walked calmly. And they say that he spoke very little. That if ever he wanted to speak, he would speak something beneficial, words of wisdom, or he would be silent. And that's basically the character of the prophets, especially of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And when he walked, it was not his nature to constantly look upwards. He used to look downwards, like a person who constantly was thinking. So he'd walk and he would think a lot, ponder a lot, contemplate a lot. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praises the believers that you don't have to look into the ground, but it's a form of thinking. You know, you, when you look and you're thinking. So Idris is to look a lot to the ground thinking. You won't get distracted by a lot of the things in the world. And Allah praises the believers by saying, Verily in the creation of the heavens and the earth, there are truly signs for people of understanding and the alternation of the day and the night. The ones who remember their Lord when they're standing, when they're sitting, and when they're on their sides. Meaning, when they're healthy and when they're weak in their beds. And they say, and they ponder and contemplate in the creations of the heavens and the earth. And they say, truly our Lord, you have not created all of this for a vain reason, for a foolish purpose. Grant us salvation and save us from hellfire. Glory be to you. Far away are you from any imperfection. Subhanak. All of this is beautiful. You are not imperfect, my Lord. So pondering and contemplating is one of the sunnas of way past among the scriptures that Ibrahim salam received that make for yourselves in your days separate them into organized hours. A time to ponder was one of them. A time to just reflect upon Allah's creation. That in itself is a form of worship. To ponder upon Allah's creation. And little do people these days have the time to do that. Because of the many distractions in our work, or our family, or our entertainment, or any such sort. The TV, the internet, our iPods, our DS's, our uh, rubbish book, I mean Facebook our uh, chats, our entertainment, our movies, our music. These are all forms of entertainment that should be monitored. You must be careful in how you use them. Otherwise, they are terrible distractors. And we can see, to this day and age, our children are what? They're immersed really deep, deep, deep into this technology. And they don't think anymore. They don't ponder anymore. And when they speak, their sentences are not even structured anymore. How do they speak? They speak like the way they SMS each other. Like the way they write over 
MSN, Allah irham, uh, it's gone now. MSN is, uh, is dead. Now the, the, the new generation is on Facebook and, and the likes. No time. And they'll stay up hours in the night, hours in the night, till the, some of them to the last third of the night, in which the Prophet ﷺ said, Our Lord descends in this night, the last third of the night, especially for those who are awake, seeking Allah's forgiveness, seeking, making dua to Allah, to say, who is there among my servants? Rhetorical question. Who is there among my, my servants who is asking me for something so I may give them? But this day and age staying up in this distraction. No ponder, no contemplation. Just take time out one day, one night, and just look up into the sky. Look up into the sky, into the stars, and see. See the harmony that, is all, that has always been there. I'd like to narrate a funny story, which has a lot of wisdom. Maybe some of you have heard it from uh, a brother of ours, who he lives here in Melbourne, a friend of mine. Who, he, tells us when, he tells me when he embraced Islam, he had a little tiny thought in his brain, which kept nagging at his conscience. It said to him, you know, okay, you believe in God and everything, but why not get a little bit of a sign? He tells it better than what I do, but I'm just going to let you tell you just a little bit. He says, that night I went home, and I sat on my bed, and, I, and the Quran was in my hand. And I said to myself, man, if only I can see just a little bit of a sign from God. He said, God, oh Allah, you know, he's talking about a person who's just newly converted to Islam. He says, I believe in you, but just show me one sign. I just want to see something. You know, like Ibrahim salam. He said, oh Allah, show me how you give life to the death. And Allah, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to him, do you not already believe? He said, I believe, but so my heart can be at ease. I just, I like to see it, you know. Seeing is not like believing, you know what I mean? So, he said, oh Allah, show me a sign. He's on his bed, and he said, I'm waiting for something to happen. It's very easy on God, he thought. A thunder light, maybe a lightning, thunder, something like that, you know. The common things we expect in our weak minds. Nothing happened. He's waiting and he went, nothing happened. So he waited again. He said, so I, I lowered the stakes. I thought, I thought, okay, you know, at least maybe a, a car can come past. Maybe a little bit of a breeze of wind to just sort of, you know, coming through my window. Something like that. Nothing happened. A flicker of a light. Not even a flicker of a light. Maybe a fly. Just come past me. Just give me some sign that Allah does exist. What did he say? Show me a sign. But no sign was there. He said, I felt disappointed. So what did I do? He said, I opened the Qur'an. And what was in the Qur'an? You know how the Qur'an is, it repeats itself in different ways, yeah? The theme is one. Worship of Allah, ponder about Allah, talking about His signs, His past generations. It's always continuing this message, but in different ways. So he opens up the Qur'an, what does he read? He read the following verses, something similar to the meaning of Similar to this meaning, you can't recall them exactly. The meaning of God is mentioning His creation. He's mentioning the skies, the sun and the moon, the earth, the creatures. Mentioning these things. And God finally says what means something like this. Have we not already shown you many signs for you to believe? I presume maybe it's this verse. And how many signs in the heavens and the earth do they pass by? But they walk away from it. They neglect it. They don't see it. He thought to himself, my God. Shivers went down his spine. You know the goosebumps? That's what happened to him. He said, here I am asking for a thunder, a lightning, or a breeze, or a car to come past, or a fly. 
Yet the signs of Allah and His miracles are constantly in front of us. All you have to do is look at your palms, for example. You have to look at outside the sky. It's always there. How much more than that? It's in your face. But what does Allah say? He says we take them for granted. As Allah says in the Quran, time passed them and they got so numb to it until their hearts became hardened. Take your time and ponder and contemplate. At tafakkur. This is what the Prophet used to do before he was given his message of being a prophet. We all know in the cave of Hira. Cave of Hira. Stay there for weeks sometimes, days, pondering. And he never committed shirk. Pondering. And he was a shepherd. Every prophet was a shepherd. Why? Why do you think they were shepherds? One of the reasons? Give them time off to ponder. 